you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start a new series this morning entitled Growing Up in Christ. Uh, growing Up in Christ, Maturing in Christ. And this morning we're going to ask the question, what does it mean to be born again? We use the phrase born again. We use the phrase saved. What exactly is it we talk about when we talk about being born again? And we all understand there are different stages in human growth. I, I thought about going through my mostly my sister. She's got all these pictures of us when we were growing up. And I thought about getting some baby pictures of me and when I was a child and a little bit older. And then I thought that might make everybody leave. But uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? There are different stages. We start with the fetus, and we grow all the way to senior citizen. And a lot of different stages, a lot of different ages. Well, the same thing happens in the spiritual realm. We are born again. We have a spiritual birth. We have an infancy. We have uh, a maturing stage to the point to where we get to what I would call seasoned saints. And we're going to read just a few verses this morning uh, through several different New Testament books to get this idea of how growth in the Lord is a process. Uh, we are not saved. We are not born again. Just like jokes to the contrary, babies don't come out of the womb full of hair, teeth, smoking a cigarette, saying, where's the party? <laughs> right? They, they pretty much come out helpless. Uh, and so we understand as a spiritual babe that we're not going to be saved one day and be, then be spiritually mature another day. There's a process. It's called sanctification. And we'll, we'll look at that as we go through our lesson. But this morning, starting Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 11, Paul tells us there, he gave himself some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Christ. In verse 15, it tells us that as Christians, we are to grow up in Christ. We are to mature in Christ. The whole key to our spiritual walk the whole key to our spiritual growth is that phrase, in Christ. And, and we will see that several times. Look, if you will, to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning at verse 2. 2 Peter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, what reason to be partakers of the divine nature, giving all diligence add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we read those verses, did you see the picture that Peter painted of a person growing and a person maturing in the faith to the point where one of these days we're going to walk right into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. One more uh, passage, Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, verses 12 to 14. Hebrews 5, verse 12, beginning. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Hebrew writer here talks about the fact that there are spiritual babies and then there are who are who their main diet is milk, and then there are spiritually mature folks whose diet is meat. And the way that we are able to mature is just through use. We, we just grow up. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, when y'all take Dawson to eat lunch today, you're not going to take him to Longhorns uh, for a steak, right? Now, y'all might have a steak, but Dawson's not going to eat steak yet. Why? He's not ready. Not only does he not have teeth, but his digestive system can't handle the meat yet. He still has, uh, he still has uh, milk, and he's still eat, uh, drinking fluids, and, but it's, he's growing. He's, one day he'll, he'll be there, and he'll start eating you out of house and home. Uh, because kids like to eat, and husbands like to eat, so that's just kind of, kind of the way we do. But just like physical children grow up, we do the same thing spiritually. In this series, we're going to look at the concept of what it means to grow up in Christ, and we're going to look at our spiritual journey from birth to maturity and unpack what that looks like. It's not going to be complicated. I'm not going to get just super, super deep, 
But I think it's important for us to understand what it means to be a Christian. Amen? We're going to look this morning at what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be born spiritually? And then we're going to look next week at what does a born-again Christian do? Generally, the first command that a born-again Christian will follow is the command to be baptized. So we're going to talk about what is baptism. Why do we baptize? As Baptists, we teach baptism by immersion. Uh, we don't sprinkle, we don't pour. There's a reason for that. And so next week we're going to do kind of a flyover about baptism, what it means and why we do it. And then we're going to look at it, what it means to be part of the church. And what does it mean to be a church member? Why join the church? Uh, as a church member, what obligations do I have to the church? And as the church, what obligations do we have for our members? And that's some things that we all need to understand and, and to realize. And then we're going to look at the point then, finally, how do we grow up in Christ? What are some habits that, that we need to have to grow up? Just like uh, we teach our children good health habits, good physical hygiene habits, uh, there are certain uh, to help them grow up in a proper way and be healthy, same habits we need as as. Uh, Christians as well. Everybody with me? Where we're headed? So this morning, what does it mean to be born again? And I suppose the place to start is the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. We first need to look at who we were before we were born again. Who were we before we were born again? Genesis chapter 1. And you notice as we get to verse 25, God has, or Moses has written here about creation, the different things that are created on each day. And we get to verse 25, God made the beast on the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And watch this next phrase. And God saw that it was what? Good. Now, one thing hasn't been created yet, and that is humankind. Humankind hasn't been created. Let's look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. The word God here is Elohim. It's plural, by the way. And notice that God says, let us. Well, who's he talking about? God isn't schizophrenic. Uh, God is talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit what we would call the Trinity, three, uh, three persons in one. God says, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, uh, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. And to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, 
and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Now watch this in verse 31. After God makes man, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? Very good. See the difference? Before man was made, God says it was good. Now man is made, and God's plans for man have been laid out, and God says it's very good. What we see here is a perfect world in the Garden of Eden. We see man in fellowship with God. We see God telling us that everything is very good. And it's interesting to me, God's use of adjectives. Uh, when I make spaghetti, I want to say my spaghetti sauce is awesome. You know, or uh, some of you engineer folks will, will build a dam or a building or something like that and say, boy, this is just, this is spectacular. God created the whole world, including man, said it was good. It was very good. So just kind of God's use of adjectives there. But what I want to get us to see is that everything was perfect until chapter 3. It doesn't take long until chapter 3 gets here, beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, As God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent has deceived me. And God goes on, and through these next verses, he reveals what the punishment for sin is. So there, everything was very good, until it wasn't. Satan comes along and said, Did God really say this? And by the way, that's, the, that's not this sermon, but that's the source of every temptation since then. Did God really say you can't do this? Did God really say you can't do that? It goes back to Genesis chapter 3. But we understand 
that the biggest thing that happened is that before sin, Adam and Eve and God walked together in the garden. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and he walks with me and he talks with me. That's what Adam and Eve got to experience with God in a world that was very good. And then sin came along. And what did Adam do? He wasn't walking with God. He was hiding from God. Because he knew that he had done something God told him not to do. He knew he would sin. God says, where are you, Adam? And Adam says, well, I, I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat the tree you're not supposed to eat of? And notice what Adam does. That woman you gave me, if you hadn't given me that woman, then I wouldn't have eaten that fruit. He looks at the woman and says, what have you done? And she said, well, say, that, that serpent tempted me. So now not only have they sinned, but they have picked up a very human characteristic, and that is blame others, right? Whose fault is it? Well, someone's else. Not mine. Don't, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But this starts, this concept of blaming others starts very young in a child's life. Those of you who have kids or grandkids, how many of you all have had your kids or grandkids, you know one of them did, did it? Maybe they, they made a mess in the kitchen, got food all over the place. So you say, come in here, and you bring them in. And you say, who did this? You know what they say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know or not me, right? We don't have to teach our children that, do we? You see, because after Adam and Eve sinned, every human being that's ever been born after that are born with a sin nature. You don't have to teach a child to lie. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish. We come into the world selfish. We come into the world crying. If we, we want to eat, we cry. When we want to be changed, we cry. When we want to be held, we cry. And if we don't get fed changed or given a bottle, we cry louder, right? Now part of that's because the baby's helpless, I understand that. But part of that is a very self-seeking trait that we have to teach our children to come out of. We have to teach our children to care about other people, right? But that is sin. That's what it means to sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, their fellowship with God was broken. Everybody born in sin, which basically means that spiritually, now stay with me right here, everybody born in sin, since we're born in sin, we are born spiritually stillborn. Do you know what I mean by stillborn? It's a baby that's born that doesn't have life, right? They're, they're born physically dead. As human beings, spiritually, we are born dead. We are born sinful. We are born stillborn. Not only are we born stillborn because of sin, 
one of these days we're going to die. Because Adam and Eve sinned, Adam and Eve brought death into the world. Not only death to themselves, but death to mankind, humankind, animal kind. Somebody says, why do we have to die? That question was asked to me recently. The reason we have to die is because we live in a sinful world. We are not created here to live perfectly. You know why my heart's given out? Because of sin. Because I'm not born to live here forever. You know why people die of cancer? But because, because they're not made to live forever. We are born spiritually stillborn. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't make us new, and we'll get to this in a minute, we're going to die spiritually dead and spend eternity in torment. So understand, a lot of times when we talk about what does it mean to get, be born again, we jump to the admit, believe, confess. We jump to the getting saved part. We like that part, right? I mean, I want to go. how many of y'all want to go to heaven when you die? That, sign us up for that, right? Especially with the way that the world is today. But before we understand what what salvation's about, we need to know what we're being saved from. And what we're being saved from is spiritual death. Watch this. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, if you would. Ephesians chapter 2. Watch what Paul says here. Well, let me say something else before we get to Ephesians 2. What does it mean to be spiritually dead? What does it mean to be dead, first of all? No life, right? Uh, we were watching uh, <coughs> Lieutenant Joe Kendall last night on Homicide Hunter. We like to watch crazy shows like that. And they showed a scene in the morgue. And these people were laying, the, the, the cadavers were laying on a block. Their head was laying on a block. And I asked Maria, I said, don't you think their neck's going to hurt after a little while? And she just gave me the look. <laughs> you, you wives know what that look is, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? Their necks aren't going to get sore because they're dead. What can dead people do? Nothing, right? They're dead. Well, we are born spiritually dead. There's nothing. We, we have no life function. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've done a deep study of that word all. I've studied the Greek. And you know what it means? All. All means all. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if you turn over about two pages to Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. We are spiritually dead. We don't have to do anything to be spiritually dead. We're born that way, and sin keeps us that way, right? What we need is a spiritual birth. And before we get into how that happens, can I tell you some misconceptions about what it does not mean to be born again? 
some misconceptions about how we're born again. First of all, one of the misconceptions about how we're born again, baptism does not save us. We are not born again through baptism. Baptism is an identification process. It is a process, it's something that we do. Baptism is a physical picture to show what happened to, happens to us spiritually. But baptism doesn't save, save us. We'll ask some folks, are you going to heaven? Oh, yes, I'm going to heaven. Have you been saved? Yes, I've been saved. Well, how do you know I've been, you've been saved? Well, I've been baptized. And I'm happy they've been baptized, but baptism doesn't save. Another misconception about being born again. Not only does baptism not save us, a perfectly worded sinner's prayer doesn't save us. We're not saved because we said some prayer. Now, in some shape, form, or fashion, we do call out to God to save us. But we're not saved because of the formula of our sinner's prayer. Something else. Checking a card or raising our hands at a VBS or a revival, that doesn't save us. And let me sit, I'm going to park for just a second with this next one. Cleaning ourselves up doesn't save us either. You ask someone, are you going to heaven when you die? Well, yes, I'm going to heaven. Well, why? Well, because I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do this, I don't do that. When we, as human beings, we tend to categorize people. If we ask somebody, who, who are good people? They would say, well, Mother Teresa, she... She was good, or Billy Graham, he was good, or well, who are bad people? Adolf Hitler, Genghis Khan, uh, Putin, who, whoever we want. We got the list of bad people, right? And here's what people say. Watch this. Are you going to heaven? Yes. Why? Well, I'm no Mother Teresa, but at least I'm not this. And so we think we've cleaned ourselves up to some point, and so we're going to get saved. Or so we will be saved. God does not grade on the curve. When I was in music theory class, there were five of us in our class, and one of the guys in the class, we were all 18, 19, 20 years old. But there was one guy taking the class. He was 57 years old. And looking at it, I'm 58 now, so I say God bless him now. But then, all that man had, he was retired. All he had to worry about doing was that music theory class. And that man, that 57-year-old man, wrecked the curve. Because he had all the time in the world to work on his compositions and to, to do all the work that's involved in music theory. Music theory isn't easy for those of you that have ever uh, studied music. Can I tell you this morning, God doesn't rate great on the curve? When we get to stand before God in judgment, God's not going to say, well, you know, you're not as bad as Bob, but you're not as good as Sue, So, but you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. You know what God says about us? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are death. Here's the question this morning. For all of us, 
If you've been born again, if you've truly been born again, you have had to ask yourself this question, am I a sinner? And you have to say, yes, I am. We have to understand that. We have to understand that pretty good is not what God is after. God said, you be holy like I'm holy. God does not grade on the curve. It's either perfect or nothing. And by the way, the only perfect one is Jesus, right? And he died for that sacrifice. Who were we? We were dead in trespassings and sin. Nothing that we do from a physical standpoint saves us. I'm going to say that again. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. Everybody with me? We can't save ourselves. I can't, you can't. Because we're just not good enough. And just like an egg and a sperm joined to begin our physical life, somewhere along the line, if we have been born again, the Holy Spirit began to work in our hearts and to show us and convict us of the fact that we were sinners in need of a Savior. And when we recognize that, and God convicts us of our sin, we call out to God to save us, we are born again. You see, first we're born in our life physically. But when the Holy Spirit works on our heart, and we admit our sin, and we call out to God to save us, we've been born again spiritually. And can I tell you that if you've been born again spiritually you will really and truly never die. Now physically we will transition from this life to the next life. But we have eternal life. Eternal life means forever, right? If you haven't been born again You're going to be born once. You're going to die twice. You're going to die physically. And then you're going to die spiritually. So what does it mean to be born again? Ephesians 2. The results of our new birth. First of all, it's totally a work of God. And you, it says, he, that's God. Notice he doesn't say, and you who made yourself alive. He said, you... He made alive or quickened who were what? Dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead. We were spiritually dead in our trespasses and sin. Y'all, we were born that way. It's not because we're wicked, horrible people. We're just sinful people. And we're lost. And you, he has made, Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters. And you, he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And he says at one time or another in verses 2 and 3, you walk like the rest of the world. You walk doing what felt good. You ate what tastes good. You did what felt good. You smelled what smells good just like the rest of the world. But in verse 3 it says at the very end you were by nature children of wrath. The wrath of what? The wrath of God. If you want to know what the wrath of God is read Romans 1 and 2. 
We've talked about that extensively over the last few weeks. You were dead in trespasses and sin. You were by nature children of wrath, verse 4. But God. That's my favorite phrase in scripture. But God. I was dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But praise the Lord, if you've been born again, you've got a but God moment in your life. Amen. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Being born again, y'all, is a Holy Spirit thing. It's a, it's a, it's a God thing. God saves us. God makes us born again. And being born again brings us into a relationship with Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. We were dead in trespasses of sins, has made us alive together with what? With who? Christ. Christ. Being born again brings us into relationship with Christ. Before we were born again, we did not have that relationship. Before we were saved, we were outside of Christ. But praise be to God. But God, because of his mercy, because of his love, made us alive and he put us in Christ into a relationship. Verse 6, he's raised us up together and made us sit together. Look at this, where? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we are born again, we are given a seat in heaven. Did you know the moment you are born again, the moment I am born again. When we stand before the pearly gates, there's our admission tickets are going to be there in our name. When we stand before the Lord at the pearly gates, and I don't know what that's going to look like, but when we get there, I picture, and you've seen the pictures too, Peter sitting there with the checklist, when he says, what's your name? I say, Andy Plank. He's going to look down and, here's your name. Come on in. And it's not because of anything I've done. It's all because of what Jesus did. Because of God's love. Because of God's mercy. I couldn't live perfectly. Jesus could. And he died. And he took my sin. And he gave me his righteousness. So being born again is a work of God. Being born again brings us into a relationship with Christ. Being born again brings us eternal life. Being born again brings God glory. Look at verses 7 to 9. Why does God save us? That in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know what Paul's saying here? We should live in such a way. We should walk a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way. That the world can ask us, what's, what's happened to you? Why are you different? You're different than you used to be. It gives us an opportunity to say, it's not me, it's God. Not that we should, you know why we can't save ourselves? Because boy, 
You know how we humans are. I remember how I talked about my spaghetti sauce a minute ago? And an engineer's dam or a car builder's car. I, it, it's just all, we, we like to boast. So if we could save ourselves, we, let me tell you what I did. I was baptized. I, uh, I said a prayer. I wrote a book. I did this. I did that. It's none of that. I am where I am, y'all, because of God. Because God, when I was dead in trespasses and sin, God, but God, I had a but God moment. You did too. And then finally, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're going to have a lifetime journey of growing up in Jesus. When we have our but God moment, that's just a start. When Dawson came into this world, that's just his start, right? At 9.38 p.m. on January 10th, 1964, I got my physical start. But I was dead in trespasses and sin. Now, I was a live baby. I was born three months early, so I weighed two pounds and 13 ounces. I was a pain to my parents from the day I was born. They worried about me. My mom's was worried to death about me from the minute I was born. I just wish I could go back in time to that day and tell my mom, oh, January 11th, the day after I was born, Mom, it's going to be all right. God's got this. I might have cried, and I might have been ventilated on a ventilator, and like every other baby, I grew up and I gave my parents times of joy. I gave them probably more times of, of anger and frustration and disappointment. But bottom line was, all during that time, as, as alive as I was physically, I was spiritually dead. And you were too. Until that but God moment. My question to you this morning is, have you been born again? Not on man's turn. I'm not talking about baptism or filling out a card or raising a hand or cleaning yourself up. Have you been born again? Is the Holy Spirit maybe working on your heart right now? Convicting you that you're a sinner and you haven't been, you've never been born again. You say, what do I need to do? Just admit you're a sinner. Why do we have such a hard time with that? Even now, even as a Christian, if I'm not careful, I have a hard time saying the phrase, I am wrong, wrong. Don't y'all? That's our flesh. Admit you're a sinner. You're not going to catch God off guard. God's not going to say, well, I didn't know that. He knows it already. Admit you're a sinner. Understand you can't save yourself because you can't be good enough or smart enough or wise enough or handsome enough or pretty enough or, or whatever that enough is. We can't save ourselves, but God can save us. God knew we couldn't save ourselves, and so he sent his son. That's what makes Christianity different than every other world religion. Every other world religion says if you do this, then you can get to God. 
Christianity says you can't be good enough, so God came to us. Amen? God came to earth to die for me and for you. Why not admit it and understand that's enough? I fully believe in salvation alone, through grace alone, by Christ's blood alone. And just like our physical birth, our spiritual birth is just the beginning of our life. I started my life in a ventilator. My grandparents and parents told me all my life that when they brought me home, I was small enough to fit inside of a shoebox. You wouldn't believe it now. Because, <laughs> brother, I caught up. And when I understood what food was about, I've had a, a, an ongoing relationship with it. But I learned to walk. And I learned to run. And I learned to drive. And learned to play a saxophone. Learned to read. Learn to study. But somewhere in the middle of all that, I had a but God moment and was born again and started all over. Where I had to learn to grow as a Christian. Where are you this morning? If you have your, you get your hymnal, number 435. Miss Mary, if you'll come on up. We're going to sing just as I am. And the terrific thing about God is, God will take us just as we are. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be cleaned up. God will take us just as a sinner. The glorious thing is he won't leave us this way. He takes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. He, we have a but God moment, and he turns us into one of his. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making arrangements to save us out of our sin and I just pray your Holy Spirit would work on each one of us and help us understand what it means to be born again. And if there's someone here today who hasn't been born again, Father, I, I pray you would touch their heart during this invitation time to, to call out to you and admit their sinfulness, trust Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. Maybe someone's done that and they've got a different next step. Maybe they need to be baptized. Maybe... They need to join the church. Whatever their next step is, Father, we're all at different places in our spiritual walk and our spiritual maturity. I pray your Holy Spirit will help us grow up during this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.